Hey everyone, today's episode is mostly quite lighthearted, but we do touch on uh, suicide, suicide of Kurt Cobain specifically. Um, there isn't an in-depth conversation, but it is mentioned a couple of times. So uh, if that brings up anything for you, please go to the show notes for resources or give this one a miss. A listener production. This podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Hey everyone. So obviously lately there's been a lot of buzz about the 90s. I mean, in fact, I'm actually dressed today in a 90s inspired dress. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I'm wearing a little like a little black slip dress with a butterfly on the front. I think butterflies are very 90s, early mm. 2000s. Um, and as part of that revival, that 90s revival, Paper Dolls, a new show on Paramount Plus, has just dropped and it's fully 90s. I'm obsessed with it. It's very, I mean, it's weird to the 90s of vintage, but I guess it is vintage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> I feel old. It's wild that the 90s to us is what the 70s were yeah. when we were younger. Like True. In your head, you're like 20 years ago, the 70s, and now that's 50 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Anyway, so for this episode that is brought to you by Paramount Plus and Paper Dolls, go and check it out. We thought we'd get on someone who like actually remembers the 90s and that also was a part of shaping the 90s for so many Australians. Like she's an icon. We love her. We thought we'd get like a feminist on who could tell us about women in the public eye at the time, much like the premise of Paper Dolls. I'm really excited to have a chat with her. So please welcome screenwriter, artist and producer. Producer Marie Cardi. Hi Marie Cardi, how are you friendship? going? I'm good, how are you? A good friendship girly pop. Um, so we're here to talk to you about the 90s. I love that. I love that I'm being rolled in to do like discuss a decade. <laughs> yeah, it's like real. next you'll bring me in with a butter churn and like a petticoat. <laughs> Tell us about the 1850s. Well, they used to pan for gold and it was amazing. So uh, yeah, I just uh, roll me out whenever the decade suits, I, I guess. Know. But in this, in this instance, specifically the 90s. And you've got personal experience with the 90s. Nah. Yeah, of course I nah, do. Yeah. So the issue with this was I was born halfway through in 95. Yeah, I didn't want to hold that against you, but I have mm. heard that about you and I was yeah, like, oh, no, okay. there was a rumour. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's <laughs> true. That's all, all over the Reddit I know. boards. Yeah, I was born so, I guess, late that I, I only found out that Michael Hutchins had died when I was like 11 and I was in love with NXS. Oh, was that devastating for you, yeah. finding out too late? I remember, I remember where I was, I was in the kitchen and I, and I, I said to mum, oh, mum, I think I was like, oh, my God, love NXS. Like, we should like go and see them live. Mum went. Oh, <laughs> oh, imagine oh, breaking that to your like horny teenage daughter. In it's love just with like Michael I just Hutchins. want to do sex with Michael Hutchins and his leather pants, and you're like, oh, Abby, I don't know how to tell She's you this, like, but wow. he's dead. I don't care. I'm not going to let that stop me. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's tasteless, isn't it? I, I apologize. Yeah. I cried on the floor of the um of the kitchen, and I also do think with Michael Hutchins, I reckon that if he was still alive, I could have met him. I now have the power to have met him, which is my biggest sadness. Oh, obviously, except for his death. <laughs> but it's quite like personally in my life, I think I often, almost every day I think, I reckon I could have had an interview with him if but he was still alive. There's, I get that with authors because I'm a nerd. Yeah. But um, I'm always <laughs> sad that I'm never going to get to hug Kurt Vonnegut. And in saying that, I don't know if Kurt Vonnegut was a hugger. 
Maybe not. And, you know, you have to learn <laughs> that. that. He wrote Slaughterhouse-Five, which is this kind oh. of like beautiful book about the bombing of Dresden. And he was like this great kind of counterculture writer who writes about death and grief in this really kind of funny, weird way. And he died before I got to wrap my sweaty little arms around oh, him, no. which he might have, you know, I've hugged a couple of, you know, when you hug people and, and you, it's too late to go back yeah. and you're like, they don't like this. They yeah, don't, don't like this. And, and they just sort of like erect in your arms and yeah. it's awful. I'm always a kiss. <laughs> this is so off topic now, but I'm always like a kiss and a hug when I meet new people, except for today when I was... I'm just attached to this Yeah, I'm chair. angry about that because I was promised a kiss and a hug. I mean, that's we'll, why I'm here. We'll do it on the, yeah. the way I'm just like, where's my kiss? Like I just, <laughs> I'm going to chat about the monies, whatever. Smooch me. Smooch me. <laughs> but people often like, they do a kiss on the chin and then they back away. Did and you say a kiss I'm, on the chin? On the chin. You're doing it wrong. I don't want, I don't want my kiss anymore. Thank you. I'm cheaper. all right. I'm all right. Just imagine that you kiss me goodbye and you're just latched to me there. I know. And I'm like, Abby, are you, are you okay? I, I need an adult. And then uh, maybe that's why they're backing away from the hug. Um, but so, yeah, the 90s for me yes, were a bit the of, 90s, they, they were yes. a bit of a. I mean, everyone will say a blur. They weren't even an, a, a thought in my mind. No. So we've got you in to discuss yeah, your they experience. Were a blur for me for very different reasons. Yeah. You know, like for reasons up my nose and, uh, oh. you know, all those fun reasons like yeah. the kids do in the 90s. Um, but it was it was amazing. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times, as they say, um, because we were on the precipice of this like potential utopia with this amazing thing called the World Wide Web, 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 Web. Wow. And we were like, oh, all the infinite possibilities contained in there and how we can all you know, communicate with each other and community and like feminist and zines and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then of course people use the internet for evil because that mm -hmm. is what happens because humans don't deserve nice things. Sure. But also it was a time when women in, in public were being pretty angry in an amazing way. Being like publicly was, angry. Yeah. Like riot girl movement and Kathleen Hanna kind of saying who was the lead singer of Bikini Kill. Mm. She always had this thing saying girls to the front of shows because she wanted women to be able to mosh safely. Oh. I remember the first time I ever crowd surf was seeing Primus at the big day out, which is a real kind of triple threat of like t time stamping. Yeah, big day was. out. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Cool. My ex-boyfriend Stan supported Nirvana. Whatever. Wow. <laughs> no, that's impressive. You can kiss me on the chin later for that one. It's that's fine. impressive. It's like um, everyone's mum dated Michael Hutchins. Oh. Everyone's mum has a Michael Hutchins story, I swear. Is this the apocryphal? Yeah, no, it was definitely my mum. Yeah, 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 everyone yeah, says that. Yeah, everyone's like, no, like, but also he may have dated simply everyone. Let's talk about men in the 90s, mm -hmm. sex symbol, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I think there was a, a beginning of a reclaiming of sex and sexuality. Shirley mm -hmm. Manson, uh, who was the lead singer of a band called Garbage, I remember being quite obsessed oh, yeah. with her. Scottish. And our, the the biggest tale of her was that she went so once really mad at her boyfriend and she shat in his cornflakes. <laughs> and we're all like, <laughs> get it, queen. Yeah, yeah. Like, garbage, woo. garbage. But this was the time of like Spice Girls <laughs> saying girl power. And, yeah. you know, so it was this kind of like mouthy, lippy women of which you would know nothing about. So no. I can explain it to you. <laughs> really don't. But, um, but so there was a palpable rage there, which of course I think is cyclical with women. I mean, they take to the streets in pink pussy helmets. Like mm -hmm. we, you know, we we go through these cycles and there's this constant undercurrent of rage and it comes out through music, it comes out through mm -hmm. pop culture, it comes out through conversation. So I remember being like, I loved the internet and I did think I was a really early, I was a really early adopter and I thought this is, this is utopia. You know, yeah. I'm in these chat rooms talking to someone from Ohio and from where wow. are you, Finland, about the Beastie Boys. What? And it was such a like, I feel like I had such a Venn diagram of like straddling the two worlds for want of a better term because I was still like making mixtapes for people with handwritten labels to try and seduce them. Wow, that's and, um, horny. So I feel like in terms of 
in terms of women and, and I mean, I connected with a lot of women writers. I was really into blogs. I taught myself how to HTML. I didn't know how to do that. How to code. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I just looked at other people's blogs and I don't know, figured it out and just taught myself how to do that because I was so desperate for that connection with other writers and other women yeah. and other makers. And me and my beautiful friend, Megan Herbert, who is now the political cartoonist for the Sydney Morning Herald and a genius. Wow. But we started like a girl's skateboard clothing label because we didn't like, we, it was called Big Girl and we had a zine because we didn't like that all girls skate clothes had like butterflies on them and you couldn't skate in them properly. So we're going to do like buying girls, four girls. And we Sick. did that and like we were making zines but also connecting with other women overseas on the internet. So it was like, it felt like a time that was really full of promise and that, you know, anger was being packaged in music and in like, and then, you know, how far we've come and how little we've it's come, changed. really. Yeah, you know, it's Not good. to depress the shit out of everybody, but, you know. Why do you think the <laughs> 90s was so conducive to that female rage being acceptable and sexuality and everything kind of really amplifying? It's coming off the back of a very capitalist, cokey 1980s, you know mm. what I mean? Which was all like, buy, buy, sell, sell, me, me, shoulder pads, shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, boss bitches, you know, working nine to five, women can do anything. And it's sort of like, I think as a result of that, I mean, it came out of grunge as well. And you've got Courtney Love who lived this really intense fog of grief Mm. very much in the public eye. Like she was in the coalface of her husband's suicide and getting up on stage and weeping and screaming. And it was this really raw, visceral kind of punk, her feelings kind of spilling out on the stage. And there was something kind of electrifying and unifying about it is that women weren't being polite they weren't mm. being corporate. They weren't being cute. They were just, you know, out there on stage with guitars with tongues out. It was wow. great. Do you think that, because I'm wondering how like political ideas spread and how quickly they spread. Because like right now, it feels like on social media and particularly TikTok, we go through really quick cycles of what is the current political topic to learn about and then we continue to speak about it in the future, if that makes sense. So it's like people are learning things much more quickly and their algorithms are pushing them towards left-wing ideologies and learning about this and this and this. Was it all through zines? Me going, what the hell was it like back then? Did you, um, do, you mean, do you mean that they're learning, are they having the time to dig into these things in an in-depth way, do you mean? I or? think they're being, well, like, for example, I'm being delivered a pre-done summary and people's to people summarising uh, research or they're summarising uh, discussions I've had with their friends or their personal experiences as like women of colour or as disabled women or as, and you're seeing first-hand experiences right on your phone without moving. Yes. But I, you would have it's had to. It's a really sedentary learning, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And you, sw- and you go, okay, cool, I've learned about that then. You kind of feel like you've got an idea or even you've got some sort of uh, talking point to look into more. Mm. But I imagine you'd have to actually seek that out yeah, I think it was a lot more, you had to get on the front foot. I mean, there mm. was so much activism then and the Riot Girl movement itself was a way of like women in the underground movements connecting with each other, looking after each other. This is what women do, you know, they look out for each other. Queer communities look out for each other. Like we all mm. understand that there's a sense of survival and safety mm. in in that kind of empathy and caring for each other. But there, I mean, it was it was more kind of on the ground activist meetings. So you'd actually meet up and it was great. Kiss Whoa. people on the chin. On the chin, the power. suck the chin. Yeah, you'd so have a few power. chin sucks, break the patriarchy, <laughs> off you go. Was that a common Same. thing? Because I, I imagine like my girlfriends I think would be the type of people to go to those meetings. But it was it mainstream or was it kind of on the fringe to be oh, an no. activist? Oh, I mean, I mean, activism, again, is a really broad swathe yeah. because um, 
you had a lot of people of colour doing activist work in the 90s that, of course, were not recognised and that work, you know, continues apace. Mm-hmm. I would say activism was eligible for all of us. I mean, you'd go to something like in Melbourne, there's Trades Hall, which is like the big union kind of building. And, you know, there's a great, there's a great, there's a chip on one of the steps there where someone dropped a keg. I think it was on the night of Gough Whitlam's dismissal. Wow. And you go past and you're like, that's the Gough, that's the beer chip from Gough. Yeah, you rub it. And then they're like, madam, please leave our premises. You're like, shut up. It's a beer chip from Gough. I'm an activist. I'm an activist. This is my fault. I just want to touch this beer chip. He's rubbing the chip. So, yeah, I mean, I remember like, because I was really obsessed with skateboarding, but I would practice at nighttime at Elwood Bowl because it was so scary skateboarding in front of guys who just Mm. did not make it, you know, you didn't feel welcome, you felt sexualized, you didn't feel kind of equal. So Mm -hmm. in terms of the way we looked out for each other, I think there was, um, it was less visible, you Mm. know, it was more uh, literally in the dark sometimes, but I think that it was accessible and you just had to know where to to look. I grew up in a, Mm. in a communist household. So I come from a very hard left household. My grandfather was publicly named as an enemy of the Catholic church, which I'm very proud. That's funny. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) And I, you know, they try and keep you in line. And I mean, they try and keep, we talk about women of the nineties and I think about people like Britney Spears or Sinead Mm O'Connor and all these women who, I mean, Sinead O'Connor was fighting against the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. She was on the front lines for it and it destroyed her. Mm. You know, like, I think that we're, we're pretty quick at trying to shut down women who step out of line or are transgressive in some way who don't fit the mold of what we expect women to be. And I think, Mm. you know, having lippy bitches like us out there is a good thing. I mean, I remember being at school going, I'm so cool. I'm wearing my dad's flares, like whatever, and big wide mm. lapel. And then uh, and then we all got into slips over pants and, you know, mm. that kind of stuff. And now and now everyone dresses like they did when I was in high school. I mean, yeah, I, wore, I tried to wear a 90s kind of themed dress today. I really tried to wear Oh, that's what the slip it. is? That's the vibe Yeah, the slip, slip with a butterfly, even though you said you didn't like butterflies. Oh, no, I didn't say <laughs> I didn't like them. If I was skating, I wouldn't oh, wear this, obviously. Exa- I, well, obviously I know Duh. that. It was more that they were trying to girly up all kind of skate yeah. clothes. Do you know what? <laughs> this is, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly before, but this shows like, A, what an obsessive fan weirdo I was and B, how, how determined I was to like connect out there when you didn't have things like the internet. Mm. So... Uh, a, a Sydney promoter called Steve Pav did this amazing event called Somersault, which was only a once-off, which fucking great. It was like the Beastie Boys and Bikini Kill, I think it ran set and all these kind of like interesting punk hip-hop bands from back in the day. And I found out what hotel they were all staying in and bought me and my friend Meg, who I did the zine with, a, a room there on the first night of the tour. So we were legit allowed in the hotel. And no one knew that we weren't on the tour with them. So I remember like Beck's girlfriend going, oh, hi, I'm Lee. And I'm like, hi, I'm Marique. Oh, my God. I, I'm definitely on the, the tour. Like, oh and God, so yeah. we were in the bar going, like, like, oh like trying to play real cool. And we just couldn't believe it. And then that night we firebombed all the rooms with our zine. <gasps> oh, oh, my God. My God. So badass. This is amazing. We did. Yeah. And I had like my little B-girl logo T-shirt there. And I remember one of the Beastie Boys passed my table going, did you firebomb our room last night? I'm like, no, why would you even? Why, like, why, why would I have the same freak? logo as the thing that we pushed yeah. that under the doors of all our favorite bands? Because we wanted them to see That's our amazing. cool skateboarding scene. You could have been like, no, I also got the flyer and I've already bought the merch. Yeah, so maybe you like, should as well. I'm like, these girls seem to know what's up. Yeah. Oh my God, get onto it. Great. But you know, that was the thing. We couldn't, 
tweet our favourite bands. We couldn't no. follow them on Instagram. We couldn't. There was less of a way to connect with artists. And in some ways that made the artists more elusive. And I've seen Nick Cave talking about when he was a kid and buying records, what you had was the vinyl sleeve and you would pour over it. You'd pour over mm. the lyrics and the sheet notes and the and you'd just try and figure out more about this mysterious person. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to know what women's stance were overall. Like obviously we can't speak on behalf of every single woman. No, woman. I'm happy to do that. No, no, I'm not, no. <laughs> but I guess like with, because I remember because I'm uh, older than Abby <laughs> and I remember growing up and and I grew up in the Middle East so it's a different context but what were women's views like, you know, how things were happening to Britney in the early 2000s and like before that, just Courtney Love, like you were talking about. What was the, the, the conversation amongst women? I think like, that's a really interesting question. And, um, and I, I think the way that we retrospectively look back on how we were as a society at that time, there's a little bit of kind of historical whitewashing, I think, in terms of I think we were all complicit in the spectacle of Britney Spears, we were all complicit in the spectacle of Courtney Love. It was one of those like, I don't want to look away. There's this amazing artist called Cat Power and she would have really big anxiety attacks at shows and kind of sometimes crawl under a piano and cry. Mm. Everyone's like, fuck, did you see Cat Power? Yeah. It was sick, you know. And now we're congratulating ourselves going, well, we don't do that anymore. Like yeah. we empower women. It's like, well, really talk to any woman in the industry. Oh, we definitely do. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Like it's just the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So mm-hmm. even though we are in this smug, self-righteous, the 90s was a different time. And we're, mm-hmm. if Britney Spears shaved her head, we wouldn't be doing that now. I'm like, well, are you all sharing the knife video of her dancing with the knives on Instagram that she's yeah. put? You know what I mean? Like so... I, I think that lack of self-reflection and all of us saying it was a different time back then. But in terms of those conversations, I don't think they had as much as they should have been. I th- mm. The only thing different now is like uh, like for me to post something and people not agreeing with me, then I get to see the support as well. But if you're in the media, like things that you went oh, through, yeah. you would have only seen negative, because people would only actually write articles about negative things to get clicks or to get newspapers yeah. sold or whatever it was back then. Like a, <laughs> to get like a ta- the, the, <laughs> We had a town crier. In, there was in, a town crier yeah, that yeah. came out and he said, here, here, here. Yeah. The town crier to do it. Yeah. And like the town crier is not going to cry things that are positive. It's crying by definition. No, it's all so bad news. When the town like, crier comes out, you're like, my day's over. Totally. So I like, I think that's a huge benefit that I have even even like um, AJ Rochester, who was the host of Biggest Loser, she does a whole lot of stuff on her TikTok and commented on something of mine recently being like, being like, oh, like, love you. And I was like, you went through so much more, even if it was like less, quote unquote, like instances, even though it was a consistent negativity for her, because I go through different topics of being hated for every week. But like, because I have a, I have a right of, reply I can go mm. on my socials and go well this is a blatant lie what's happening and I can directly get to my audience yeah and also I can then get like positive comments people can see the comments and be like well what's the consensus here oh everyone's actually uh, like not against her so I'm also going to chime in and be either neutral or not against her does it affect you if everyone is tipping on you does it make you change your mind if you're not getting those positive things to balance it out does it does it rattle your sense of self-belief because you've got a really admirable strong mm. you know sense of self-belief I think that's happened yeah that's good yeah I I hope that doesn't happen I think because I have like quite a consistent outlook and like the topics may change but my outlook it stays kind of the same so therefore it's not surprising when I do things yeah you know what I mean it's interesting I mean I think you're right at the time look I've got to say 
blogs were a real saving grace. And I mean, they were really interesting. I mean, I met Clem Ford blogging. She was a, an Adelaide blogger back in the day. And we were all kind of building up this network of writers and women. Chelsea Peretti, who is that amazing American comedian wow. actress. She was a blogger. Like we used to like... Wow. Like right on each other's things. It was amazing. So we had that sense of community. So when I got shit canned in the conservative press, there was still, firstly, they'd all come over and comment, which is, of course, you you always yep. you always knew when you'd been mentioned because people would come over with death and, and sexual assault threats. Isn't that great? Still, that's the same. Yeah. Oh, yep. see, yeah, things haven't nice. changed. No, oh, my it's, God. It's comforting to know what you're going to um, get. Yeah. So that's sometimes that's the first I would know mm. that it had happened because people would start commenting really vicious stuff. I'm like, I don't know that name. And you go, mm. oh, I must have been mentioned somewhere in, right. the, in the conservative press. So I had that community, but in terms of AJ or people who didn't have access to that community at that time, you seek out your community and you seek out your support. Mm. You know what it's like in those really distressing times when you feel like it's burn the witch and you're like getting led through the town square and everyone's mm. pelting rocks at you, which is a, all this shame comes up and you feel like I fucked up and I've, I've been mouthy, I've let down the movement, whatever mm-hmm. I've done you still find community within that space. I think Mm. the sad thing now is that there isn't much switching off, as they say. I mean, look, I was so obsessed with being online, so I think I've been pretty permanently online since those early coding days. Mm. But, you know, but then I'd turn my computer off, I'd go out on the street and skateboard very badly. I need to point out that I was not a good skateboarder. <laughs> well, it was night time. I did I not want to look any cooler than I, do, <laughs> I already do. But um, yeah, no, I was a shit skateboarder, but I loved it and I was passionate about it. But once I turned the computer off, those voices were gone, you know, yeah. but, but also then I, I mean, and you've got this little, cause print media was still a big thing now instead of the, now that it's fucking dying. But when you find yourself on the front cover of a newspaper, like you're in an airport and you see just a picture of you kind of going, and you're like, oh, oh God. God, oh, God, oh, God. That was a finger. What, the yeah, it was face. a finger. Yes, Have you had that? <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. What for? <sighs> what were you doing? Numerous things. For. Like, oh, no, I mean, I I remember the first time I was, I'm not even going to name the right-wing colonists because they don't deserve any energy. But um, when I got outed and um, it, was, uh, it was about my language, I think the headline was, I swear this chick talks foul. And just a picture of me going... <laughs> And I think I said that. Like, this is like this is like the the varied and storied career. I started a left wing clothing label with my friend SJ. That's after the skate clothing label. It's, it's some, right. I've tried a few different things. I love time. it. Um, and it was called Politics. And it was like we had undies Ooh. that said "Vote Liberal." My ass on them, and like all this kind of stuff. We had little Bob Brown love heart cushions and little like Joan Kerner bags. It was really cute. Oh my god! And says, <laughs> is anything still? I'm sure there's like a box of it in my garage. I can oh, dig some up and give it to you. It's really fun. But um, but I think we got our photo taken for Who Weekly and it was just me and my friend Esther going, mm. and then you fucking see that massive in the right-wing press with you. And then every example of you saying cock or dick or fuck knuckle just yeah. like put there. I thought I was going to get fired. It was really, you know. Were you working for the ABC at this time? I think I was working for, I mean, I've written television for a really long time, so I might have been Channel 7 then. But even, you know, there's that you just go, oh, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fired. And I think you write out enough of those cycles, as you will know, and um, you start going, it's okay. I know the people who get what I'm trying to do, who will mm-hmm. back me, who understand that I have good intentions. Mm-hmm. I guess for me as well, like I really, I grew up in that call. For, like I learned my voice in there. So mm. of course I fucked up fairly consistently. Yeah. I was like 24 and on the internet going, and going, no one knows who I am. No yeah. one will ever Frontal read this who knows who I am. Finishing. I'm just like, tra-la-la-la-la, cock down a plug hole. 
And then those words haunt you for the rest of your fucking life. You I know? don't even know if it should haunt you. I thought it was going to be something much worse than that. Oh, I'm sure there is worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, again, I, I like, I almost, I was, I was on Twitter from 2009 and I've never gone back and deleted stuff. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's problematic stuff on there because not only have, has politics and the way we talk about, I mean, gender and I mean, I would have, I wouldn't have been homophobic or anything, but it's like, in the last five years, what we learn about mm. language, what we learn about non-binary language and gender as a construct and all that kind of stuff, it's this beautiful fast-tracking mm-hmm. change and like tipping of the scales, a long overdue tipping of the scales into a different way of discourse and a different way of discussion. But like before that, 15 years ago, it was funny to talk about men wearing dresses. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That was considered comedy. Mm. And so... I don't want to be embarrassed about learning so publicly. Like I, yeah. I, I try really hard to listen and learn and be a good ally and a good activist now. And being a good ally and an activist does mean listening and learning. But I also learned a lot in public. I tripped over, I stumbled over and I forgive that past version of myself who didn't know any better. Mm. And I know that I try harder, but I don't ever want to go, but that never happened. I'm like, yeah, yeah. absolutely that happened. And I'm sure mm. anyone could dig up some fucking probo shit that I wrote. That, that borderline, <laughs> we like didn't know go, any better. Yeah. And and they can try and rub my fucking face in the mess, but I'm not going to stay. It's just like, yeah, I, that's what it looks like to learn in public. That's what it looks like when you're stumbling and you're young and you have access to kind of all these, all these typey, mm. typey, typey words and no one knows who I am. And it, yeah. it's so exhilarating and you've got other people going woo and other people going woo. Yeah. And it just kind of like it fuels you into writing more. And in those times you don't always make great decisions. And that's okay because that's what being alive is. We fuck up and we learn and we apologize mm. and we do better. And there's, that's fucking beautiful. Absolutely. How do you think women in media are viewed differently now than they were in the 90s. I don't think they are. I mean, I don't, If I mean, and you would know from the amount of vitriol and gendered vitriol that you've mm. copped and sexualized vitriol that you've copped. And I'm really glad that you also get, I would say, equal and hopefully overt amounts of affirmation mm. that kind of balance that out for mm. you. But I think there's an obviously like a misogynistic way that we view women in public because mm-hmm. every time there's yet another story of either a sexual predator or a woman yeah, I mean, this story I read this morning, it was some tech conference, I think it was in Belgium, and it was all guys. And so the the guy facilitating it made AI pictures of three women to make it look like there were more women on the bill. <gasps> what? Yeah, so he made pretend women because it's like, it's not all men. It's not a cock forest. Look, three, three, three chicks. Three. There's three chicks. <laughs> cock forest. There's three it's chicks. Cock forest. Cock forest. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think that's the name of the episode. Please. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the start of this chat, you were saying how it was a bit of a blur, the 90s. Yes. What was the difference in drugs but in the 90s <laughs> compared to now? I mean, ketamine was not a thing. Ket was not a thing. And I know that's like a really big thing now. But it was real, real trucker speed in water bottles that you just sipped with your little speed. Sorry? Like Sorry? speed, like yucky, yucky speed. In water bottles? You'd put it in your water bottle and drink it because like a lady and then you'd have your big <laughs> butterfly wings and your flares as you raved on your little beanie. Wow. Sip, sipping at your speed juice. Wow. That makes you feel physically oh. sick. Oh, yeah, gross. <laughs> gross. And and I can't even handle a vodka Red Bull, let alone yeah, ex- speed water. <laughs> I mean, ecstasy was all was all pills, you know, and you had your fun stamp and the Playboy logo and all that kind of stuff, but there were no MDMA caps or MDMA or anything like that. So you'd crush up pills and put them up your nose. 
Oh my god! I think I can still taste that. That's one of those flavors that you never forget. I nearly just, you know, just feel it dripping down the. Back I don't know of if that's going to make the edit, but it's epic. I'm glad I that that doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can tell you, yeah, AMA about drugs in the '90s. No worries. My dad um, used to go to dance parties and take ecstasy pills. Like when he was about forty, this obviously. When he was forty, vibe. Good for yeah, him. yeah, yeah. And he'd go to like dance parties and stuff. And he, yeah, he'd tell me about it. And I was like, wow. I'll tell you the other fun thing is. That so when to get drugs was a real we talk about we didn't talk about quest but to be an activist was a quest you had to be on the front foot yeah. if you wanted drugs for a party you had to catch a fucking train out to Thomas Town <laughs> and watch some guy play Nintendo while you sat there and tried to make small talk with him and pretend like you were just there to buy drugs and you're like oh while cool, he weighs it cool go, Nintendo <laughs> no you just play fucking Xbox on Nintendo and you're like oh this is awesome. <laughs> like and then his mom comes in and you're like, am I getting my fucking drugs or not? Can I ask? Did uh, this is going to sound a little bit dumb, but like, did women especially get cancelled? Like, where was there such a thing as cancelled back then? No, I mean it was more like the Salem witch trials, really. Like it was, Burning it was just, stakes. it was just. I mean, Courtney Love. I think a woman like Courtney Love, who was a, a really interesting progressive punk musician, feminist who was very young, who was madly in love, whose husband died by his own hand and then who went, kept making music. And we, we treated her as a spectacle. Mm. Everyone sort of looked at that, that cyclone of grief that she was in as a kind of like, you know, people just watched it. It was sort of an observational thing that people would make wry marks about, like here comes the hot mess, Courtney Love. I would posit that potentially that would be treated a little bit more sympathetically now. I think there's a lot more articulation about mental health, people being able mm. to identify whether they've got anxiety, whether they've got depression, whether they're grieving. And I think there's something really rich and beautiful about that. So my hope would be that, you know, if something like that happened now, people would have a more empathetic view of it instead of just sort of sitting there with their arms crossed going, fucking Courtney Love, messy bitch. I don't you know, know if they would. I actually don't <laughs> I know, know if they would. A friend of mine recently had quite a public breakdown. That's all I can really say about it. Um, and we unfortunately can't be friends anymore, but there were – very clearly unwell and everyone was trying to hold them accountable for the things they were saying but they were very clearly unwell, Yeah, very clearly mentally unwell and it actually uh, really concerned me that people will say they are all for mental health advocacy when it's a bit of anxiety but not when it's a full-blown schizophrenic illusion breakdown. I think you're absolutely right and that really, you know, when we dig into the nuances of hypomania, not even full-blown bipolar, mm. but when people are in a hypomanic state mm -hmm. and potentially with some kind of smaller delusions of grandeur mm. and the things that they, I think, I mean, I think you're right. But, I mean, now they just get cancelled. Mm. But, I mean, I'm sure you've but interrogated this before. It doesn't fucking doesn't that, It doesn't even fucking exist. Let's tell that to Louis C.K. who just sold out Madison Square Garden and won a fucking Grammy. Like, yeah. oh, you're cancelled. Oh. oh, I'll tell that to my fucking millions as I'm, like, dabbing my tears with them. Yeah, you know? cancel cancellation does not exist. And when you think about cancellation as well, when you think of the men who have been quote-unquote cancelled, it's for things like raping people and yeah. keeping sex slaves and physically assaulting their girlfriends. They don't even cancel, but let's say in theory... People like Chris Brown, who I would never listen to his music or want his music to be played anywhere near me, right, even though he's still selling out tours. But yeah. let's say in theory it's the closest being cancelled. And women that have been cancelled are people like Ellen DeGeneres, who was by all accounts a bit of an asshole on set. Yeah. But if we compare their crimes, it's being probably rude at work 
and yeah. awful to staff that you shouldn't be, but also versus having sex slaves in a dungeon. Like oh, this I mean, is the vitriol she women. Was, she's a, a queer woman who came out at a time when it was at, it risked her entire career. Mm-hmm. She built something on the top of that. She was, you know, running a whole plan. I mean, managing people is difficult. I am not excusing toxic workplace behaviour at all. Mm. But you're right. You're absolutely right. It's like, how dare she call someone a dickhead? Yeah. It's like, well, very stressed person who's gone through a fucking lot in their life. There's a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. And again, yes, it's not excusing. But I think if you even bring, uh, if you even begin to bring in that point, people will say that you're excusing what Ellen was uh, allegedly did. I mean, I just think if, if we're comparing what men have been cancelled for, like, like Chris Brown leaving Rihanna with a black eye. Yeah. Like, it's not. Were there any women that got really cancelled in, like Shane O'Connor, for example, obviously she wasn't cancelled, cancelled, but... Oh, I, think, I, I would say that's that's a pretty high closest, level yeah. of, you know, losing sponsors and losing gigs and, you know, getting booed on stage and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the public and the industry made life impossible for her mm-hmm. and she was already someone who had mental health issues and was very open and vulnerable about that and I thought was a really powerful politicised activist and the industry just kind of crushed her, mm. I think, which is, I think, and I think we have to take responsibility for that. And we do have to be mindful for when it's happening now and take a step back mm. from the kind of like braying intensity of when that heat hits, it does feel like we are all in an oven together just screaming yeah, and just taking a step back and looking about someone's vulnerability or mental state or what they're going through at the time. I mean, that that old kind of, I know it sounds trite going, you never know what someone's going through, but you just don't, you know. Mm. And I try and have that, like even the people who have written shit about me, obviously I wouldn't sleep with them because they're conservatives, but I try and go, look, we all do our best with whatever we've got that day. And sometimes we act like a fucking cunt and, mm. and then you go, well, that was the best I got and maybe I was acting out, maybe I had mm-hmm. a trigger and I didn't realise it or all that kind of stuff. Mm. I try and reflect that back on the people who want to shit on me as well, especially like death and rape threats, which I, you know, touch wood, I haven't got for quite a while, but I'm starting to kind of incrementally move back into public life mm. after. Oh, my God, how exciting. Going to get them again. Exciting and slightly t- trepidatious for that reason because I haven't missed it. It's been really nice to go to therapy mm. and, you know, build a beautiful home with my husband and our dog. Well, and the good I, thing now is, though, just so you know, they can now Google your address. Now they can send you death oh threats God, with your address Abby. in full, wow, including postcode. Wow, I can't postcode. wait. Amazing. Just so you know. So fun. It's a thank new you. world. Well, thank yeah. you for welcoming me. That's a real no gift it's, basket of come back yeah. to come oh, back to public life. And when you call the cops, they'll say, unless you actually get killed, we can't do anything. Just so oh, yeah. you know. I, ha- I, had, I had one of those years ago as well. <laughs> so it like, I haven't missed that. But also, I mean, the, the last few times that did happen to me, I kind of just felt sad for the person doing it. I'm like, do you feel better that you've come here and told me to, to take my own life? Like, I hope you got something off your chest because mm. it doesn't, it doesn't. And I feel like, unfortunately, and I don't know if it's the same for you as well. I've now got a very thick skin as a result of growing up in that environment where I fucked up and people punish me or people don't like what I say and they punish yeah. me. And as a result, I'm like, look, you can say, I'm trying, I'm definitely, I'm a nice person and I try my best and the, every single day. 
And I think one, if you're holding that as your value system, then then those things don't hurt as much. But as we yeah. all know, there's times when like you're premenstrual or something and you're like, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. And someone goes, you're ugly. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, I am. I am an, I I'm a beast. I'm a beast. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm Darren from Croydon. <laughs> yes, oh, Darren from Croydon. <laughs> I'm ugly. Boom. Yeah, my, I definitely have a very thick skin. Now, I mean, even I was on a podcast recently and the producer, it was it was with someone who isn't in my usual demographic and they uploaded the social video of me. And I was like, okay, cool. Didn't even look at it. Didn't even think about it. And the lovely producer texted me and she was like, hey, just checking that you're holding up and your mental health and mental safety is okay with the comments um, on the post. And I was like, oh, babe, I haven't looked, nor do I care. Like mm. I was like, I don't give <laughs> I it. think I, that's so healthy, Abby, that you do that, to be honest. Like I got like well, a tiny in the bit. Houses going, going, um, yeah, because I think I was speaking about how I'm actually really insecure in this video. Like, yeah. Oh, well, what a great time uh, to really fucking dig into a world. Oh, she's yeah. vulnerable. Fucking good. Yeah, yeah I, th- I, I didn't bother to look, like, which was like one, you know, only recently have I had the, not even like the strength, just like the lack of interest. I, go, yeah. I actually don't care what these comments say. No, Is that a tolerance? Yeah, yeah. Like your you tolerance just, you builds just, up after a while. And because you also like, you also know that you might have like, if something happens, you might have like a bad day or two, but you also know that you'll get over it. In, in a week it will seem like it never happened. So I just speed it up and just don't like to look if I don't have to. That's no, why. No, you don't. It makes it worse for yourself. Yeah. I know. I mean, we read things. I mean, it's not just in, in, in literature, but people who are in that cancelling, What it, when it's all happening, people write about it. They talk about what that experience is like. And it does feel like the world is moving very fast at you. Mm. But you are allowed to step away from it mm. and you, you go and sit with your dog and it's just like gravitating towards the things that will anchor you in those moments because they do, everything fucking passes. Everything mm. passes. Life is undulating and fluid and shit and beautiful and hard and easy. And if you have all the toolkit to get you through the shitty bits, to sit in them and all the radical mm. acceptance and the meditation, all those things we do to get through those things, it makes life easier and you just kind of white knuckle it through yeah. those bad ones. So See, I like I'm lucky though and compared to if we're speaking about women in the nineties, like Shane O'Connor, for example, losing sponsorships. I'm very lucky now because I can show that I still have X amount of support with direct replies from people or I'm not yeah. losing followers or I'm gaining followers. So therefore it doesn't actually mean anything. Whereas like if you were having sponsors get terrified that you've said something to upset a group of people if there's like for example in theory a petition uh that would never th- happen that would never that's happen. too old that's, school that's weird it sounds like something the town crier i'm sure shane o'connor had um the town crier yelling about her had petitions against her right after yeah yeah against catholic church of course sponsors are going to get scared and go away whereas i've been i guess i've had online vitriol but i've never ever had I've only had one sponsor ever pull out uh-huh. and it was a blinds company. I'm just going to say it. When I said, when, when the <laughs> no! queen, I know, when the queen died and I said on my stories, I said, yeah, sad, but it's kind of like someone else's grandma dying. I'm not going to cry today, but it is a sad so that someone else's grandma has died. Mm. And that caused them to pull oh God, out. You didn't even start was, with all the mm. colonisation stuff. Oh, I think I know. did mention like, in passing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I did say, look, guys. Also, I think, I think, you shouldn't I have colonised all those Col- places. Colonisation, et cetera. But you know what? Someone else's nan's died. So sorry to anyone who's crying today. I think that's all I said. I was like, why are we acting like this is like our And grandma? in the blinds company, the blinds just snapped shut and they're like, she's out. She's enough. Close <laughs> <laughs> snapping the blinds yeah. shut. That's but it. That's the, only, that's the only time I've ever like lost a sponsorship because of my views. Yeah. Unless I've pulled out, like I pulled out of R&B Fridays because of my views. Yes. But I think it's much harder to like, because people see, oh, her numbers are normal and we can still see what the actual backlash is and we can see like forums and discussions. Whereas 
In the 90s, there was, none of, there was none of that. No, and I mean, as we all know, the end result is the same as that they want women to shut up, mm, you know, yeah. because if you get scared that, you know, you're going to lose your record deal or people are not going to come to your shows, you're like, well, I better not say anything mm. because I better, be, I better be a good girl and not speak up and not speak mm-hmm. about politics or not speak about things that are mm-hmm. important to me because I might risk my entire creative career that I've worked mm-hmm. so hard for, that I've been, a, you know, playing fucking guitar in my bedroom in Shit Kicker America since mm-hmm. I was 12. And then because I got on a talk show and said something about abortion, people are picketing my show. Like it's, you know, mm. the whole thing is making women shut up. And that's the same with commenting on your thing. They're just like, shut up, Abby. Yeah, shut up. You go, you know okay. Like, um, it's like the chicks. Don't shut up. It's the chicks. Yeah. I'm not ready to make nice. The chicks. Oh, God. <laughs> I had no idea where that was going and then I got serenaded and I, know. I was very happy. <laughs> See, the, the, the yeah. chi- I call them the chooky chicks yeah. because people go, who are the chicks? And I have to go, the Dixie chicks. And they go, I go, but I shouldn't have said that because it was a racist term and da 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 And then it turns into a thing. No one knows who the chicks are. So you just start singing? I just start to sing the songs. Do you songs, do that all the time? Yeah, I feel that's true now. That's probably her first time. That was the first time. Oh, that's first time. And it was amazing. Yeah. Oh my God, I felt that too. Yeah. On that like whole kind of... Probably what you're talking about is the fact that these platforms, there was just a lot of power imbalance, right? Like Abby owns the IP for the podcast. She can say mm. whatever the fuck she wants. Then she on can also media. on social mm. media as well. So when it comes to other people kind of owning or taking control of your platform, do you think that where women are like exploited less nowadays compared to that period? Like in term, because that really lends itself to exploitation, right? Y- yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Lem. And, and I mean, I want to say... No, women aren't exploited as much, but I just think people have got a better language at covering it up. Mm. I, th- I also think, you know, I don't want this to be super depressing, but I also, but in, in a good way, I think that also the networks of women looking out for each other and people being conscious of what's going on and how to support each other through it, how to help each other, how to call it out, how to support someone who's calling something out is much stronger. Mm. And it's, you know, it is that strength in numbers thing is that we, we do know there is, you know, an, an army of people that we can connect with and it's so accessible because mm. they're in our little little fun box that we have yeah. in our hand. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think that women, of course, they're being they're not being paid enough and they're being exploited and, and people of colour are not listened to and, I mean, fucking transphobia is rife and all that kind of stuff. But I, I like to think that amongst activists, amongst community, there is great conversation and love and empathy and support and kindness and power Mm. And I, I think that's a lot more accessible and I think that's a really joyous thing to take. And I think you're right about IP, Lem, like even with musicians, they can now be self-managed and, and don't really need a record label yeah. to really be successful anymore. While it does, I guess, help. But well, there's a democratisation now um, as the people go, I'm making a fucking film and I put it online. Yeah. I made a song. Fine. There it is. Great. Didn't and need to sign with anyone. We can buy good cameras. We can all use, like, yeah. You can film it on your phone and get yeah. a pretty decent yeah. um, video clip. And if it goes well on TikTok, then... You're, you're pretty much set up. Yeah. Um, but how much do you know about um, music industry uh, record deals? Do you know anything about that in particular? What? How cooked they are? Well, it's just, I mean, I just feel like it's so common. It's so commonplace. It is so common. And everyone talks about being hamstrung by their record label or image manipulated yeah. by their record label. The record label wants them to put out a sexy song and they're like, but I'm a folk singer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, get your boobs out. You know, like that kind of. Yeah. And they go, and, they go, like and we're Simpson. all people pleasers, you oh, know. Yeah. We go, I yeah. want I want to succeed. Yeah. I, I love my job. I love my music. I want to, you know, make mm-hmm. the people who believe in me proud. 
okay, you know. It's like, also interesting in the, in the 90s when I think about Jessica Simpson and about all of these middle-aged white men telling Jessica or telling whoever their talent was what young girls would like, like that she had to do that, that oh, weird they'd, sexy they'd marketed, they'd, 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 they, you know, they'd put their whole pussy research. into marketing. And they're watching porn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But isn't it, isn't it so Just interesting? Just some record executive rubbing his thighs. Some, you know what young girls like? Like this <laughs> happens with me a lot where, where middle-aged me, white men will tell me why people like me and I'll say, you're, you're completely wrong like you have why no idea why do they idea. think people like you um because i'm quote unquote sassy and oh my bubbly. god i was sassy and i I'm say i'm sassy. not bubbly i'm a cunt oh. I, I, when, when i have a i'm not a bubbly person i, I have curly hair and tits yeah must be bubbly. it's the curly hair thing yeah, I think. it confuses yeah. them the whole sassy, sassy thing is like and the thing that i think again um not to draw parallels between us but there's there there are oh. a lot of ribbons between us but I, I found that I crafted a very kind of lippy, mouthy, very sexualized persona, public persona before I'd had the chance to dig into my own trauma and understanding of like mm-hmm. what happened to me as, as a young woman and as a kid and, and ongoingly as I, as I was growing up. So I was like, I don't care. I don't, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Mm. And eventually I was like, I do, gi- I do give a fuck. Yeah, it and turns I also, out I do care. And, and also, I mean, I put out, a, I did a, a book of essays back in the day um, in 2011, I think it came out called You'll Be Sorry When I'm Dead. And it was like humorous personal essays. I grew up loving David Sedaris. I'm like, I'm David Sedaris. Narrator, she wasn't David Sedaris. But, um, but I was like telling all these like funny stories about sex and sexuality and stuff. And I'm and, and I re- I'm not sorry that that book came out now. It's fine. It's beautiful. That's who I was at that time in my healing and recovery. But I found that I told a lot of those stories as funny stories. And now I look back at them and I'm like, that wasn't funny and you made it sound funny to be brave mm. and that actually really hurt you yeah. or you hurt someone in that story and – it's hard. Refle- that's what I mean about public output. Like that's out there now and ever. And so people come and go, I read your book, you fucking sassy, sexy, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not me. I'm a very shy person. Yeah. I'm a traumatized person. I'm in recovery. I've got articulation to be able to talk about that now. And I'm fine to talk about it. But once people go, you're the girl that talks about sex all the time and you yeah. can't be anything else outside no, of that. No, so there's can't. no nuance in how women can be in terms of women having trauma breakdowns or women acting out or women in those spaces. It's like, no, 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 just do the thing that we want we you want to you do. To do do yeah. the same thing that you always do because that's how we know you. Mm, yeah. Well, my therapist and I, because I have a I have a similar thing where like I'll tell stories and I'm like, eh, and people yeah. like, well, strangers will talk to me about it. And I go, oh, I didn't know I was going anywhere. <laughs> Even yeah. on the podcast, I'm like, oh, people are actually engaging in this. My therapist now has a rule that I have to have sorted it through with her in therapy before that's I can make a, a joke great, about it. That's a great Seriously? rule. I think she just wants to gossip. That's I think progress. she just wants to gossip <laughs> That's her. progress. We've now finally seen how things have improved since yeah. the 90s. Because firstly, I didn't go to therapy until mm. much later. And so, by then I'd already told all those stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's really healthy. Oh, it is. It's but really also healthy. But I, you're like, but it's such a good story. It's good content. Yeah. I'm like, babe, it was harder <laughs> when I had radio because you were radio host as well. Yeah, yeah. It's harder when you have radio where you like, also you'll find yourself doing things for content. No, I wouldn't know anything. No, I would never do that. <laughs> like fucking <laughs> someone and going, this would be a funny story. Oh, yeah. Like this person's a bit Absolutely. off centre. I should fuck So them. basically your therapist is your like producer before me. Like we should she's credit my, the fuck out of her. No, she's, she's, she's my personal producer. life producer. Yeah. yeah. That's Which really is like, good. don't do that. And like, that'd be a boring TV show though, babe. Like I'm, I, I'm like doing things to get like <laughs> ideas, you know. I know it is. Look, you do tend to, and I did Breakfast Radio on Triple J for two years as well, which I loved. It was so fun. And I love the people I did it with. Um, 
But you do find your life is confined to catching a taxi to the ABC in Sydney at four o'clock in the morning and then going to yeah. bed at 8pm and every story like, funny thing happened in the taxi. On the way oh, there. Give us a call now, 1-800 if anything's happened in a taxi. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, what a boring life. You yeah. Know? Why are more personal stories go? Because I'm on set all day from 8am to 11pm. What am I going to talk about? Funny thing oh, happened at the catering table. Yeah. Oh, the runner, the runner brought me the wrong <laughs> yeah. coffee, oat yeah. milk instead of coconut. Give like, us a call now. Also, fucking most unrelatable shit in the world going, yeah, I was on a shoot today, guys. Yeah, and as well, milk is maker, relatable though. Milk's very relatable. Yeah, milk, milk is relatable. Is a, yeah. Different milks. Yeah, it's people yeah, very excited. Yeah, people get angry people. about new milks. Yeah, <laughs> well, That's I'm actually the, oh, Abby Chatfield mouthing off about milk again. Yeah. Fucking cancelled. Anti milk. Yeah. That's classic. How many me. milks were there in nineties? Oh. <laughs> many different milks. Gee, I love that this is going to be my specialty topic now. Know, well, finally, I'm like? here to talk about my. <laughs> Tom Gleason hard quiz topic, milks of the 90s. Um, no, because back then they fucking gendered milk as well. There was a milk that was made for tradies. Oh, fuck, what was it called? There was a milk called... No. I'm sure there was a milk called Gary. I'm sure I'm going to get that wrong. There was a milk called Gary and it's like, buy men, for men. Oh, my God. Because men, men hadn't had enough at that point, so we needed to give yeah. them special milk. Famously, they women went from, only. They went from it's boob a Gary-flavoured milk. milk, apparently. Gary-flavoured milk. According to Reddit. There was, like a, there was all these like tra- milk for tradies, so they went off mum's boob and straight onto the fucking construction site where they were milked up. That's so nice gendered milk. And gendered milk. Yeah, Rev. There was Rev. Yes, for and women that was the, marketed to you women. You know about nineties milk. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, Rev was for for wow. women who cared about their looking trim and terrific. Uh, yes, for their husbands. Taught and yeah. Oh, taught. <laughs> oh, you have to be taught. taught. Oh, to taught. be taught. Yeah, they love yeah. the word taught in the Daily Mail to this day. See, nothing's changed. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Yeah. That's the conclusion. Well, I think that's enough 90s of style too. We've got the taught milk. We've got um, awful, awful times for women and it's a slightly better now. I think, yeah, that's a good pricey. It's like... Unfortunately, there's a lot of shit that's still going on in terms of particularly women in in creative industries, in in public life and how they're treated, the expectations of them. But even just speaking on a personal level about you and I and about how we've both put ourselves out there and the repercussions of that, I'm gratified and heartened to know that you've got that relationship with your brain producer, life producer, Mm. who is going, let's interrogate those stories and how you genuinely feel about them before Mm. you turn them into something for your voracious audience. I think that's fucking beautiful and healing. So... Let's end on a positive note and say we got somewhere. Yeah, my therapist. The patriarch is dead. We did yeah, it. We did yeah, it. Yeah, the confetti. Confetti cannon. Confetti cannon. Yay. Yay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oscar edited in later. Yeah, Oscar confetti. edited in. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Oh, my God. Um, thank you so much. you have anything huh. you want to pluck? Like, is there anything... Ah, well, yeah, I'm Where people find you? Where can they find you? I'm not the blog anymore. Come on. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing faxes out <laughs> to everyone's house. So just <laughs> ring me and I'll send you a fax. No, I'm actually fucking starting a podcast next year. <gasps> no way. Great. It's called uh, Marie Cardi is Gonna Die and it is about death because I think that's, oh. I think there's something really fucking beautiful in interrogating the shared experience we're in, mm-hmm. really acknowledging the privilege of being able to ruminate on mortality mm-hmm. as a cishet white woman, but I really, I think there's something beautiful in reflecting back on life and what we did and what we wish we'd done differently. And I'm just starting to, I've, I'm now public on Instagram again, which I haven't been for a long time. Wow, so, exclusive. So send your death threats, you know where to send them. Oh my God, guys. And where can they find your address to send the death threats to? Oh, I'll send you. You can post it on the Instagram we'll afterwards. Do, we'll do yeah. a QR code. Great, thank you so much. Yeah. I'll Thanks put a lolly so basket out the front like in Halloween. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's all the 90s nostalgia I can give you. But if you want more of that, go and watch Paper Dolls right now. It's streaming on Paramount Plus exclusively. So go and get a little account, 
go and watch it and enjoy your 90s nostalgia and escapism. All right. Listener Production.